Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington, or if you're listening after the fact on podcast.com or Apple Podcasts. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Friday, October 25th, here at 6 o'clock p.m. The NBA season, three days in, going to wait on giving analysis on players, things we've seen thus far, just because of it being a small sample size, only having three nights of games thus far. So what I wanted to do, last week's episode centered on the lay of the land as far as extensions were concerned. Now, we're a week later, all these extensions have been signed. So I want to go through all these major extensions that have been signed, give my take and analysis on all the circumstances surrounding these extensions, and then in future episodes, we'll get into, once there's a larger sample size for the season, trends that look good, players that have been pressed, things of that nature. So, actually, a quick side note before getting into these extensions. One little bit of analysis. The league pass team of the year, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. I know it was against the Detroit Pistons last night, but Young going off for 38-9-7, John Collins looking like a beast, Kevin Herter only playing 14 minutes. DeAndre Hunter looking good, being the de facto secondary ball handler when Young was out. Shooting threes. Bruno Fernando, who I've liked since the pre-draft process. Hitting threes. Playing well. This is a fun team to watch. This is a team who likes to shoot the ball. They play fast. They push the ball. They move the ball well. Jabari Parker getting in on the action as a nice bench scorer for them as well. They're going to be a fun team to watch on League Pass this year. I'm very, very much in on the Atlanta Hawks and their future, as you would know if you listened to my podcast in the past. Now, let's move it along, and let's get into these extensions. First, Pascal Siakam, four years, $130 million with the Toronto Raptors. As was stated last week, and as really the overall understanding was concerned, it was always Pascal Siakam was getting a max. It's just a matter of when and if it would be four or five years. Turned out it was four, four for 130, and if his performance on Tuesday against New Orleans is any indication of what's to come for the rest of this season as the primary guy on this Toronto Raptors team, then Pascal Siakam is one of the 25 to 30 best players in the NBA and is going to be an all-star this year. He looked absolutely phenomenal on Tuesday night, and... I'm very excited to see this season how good he can be over the long term with a large sample as the guy on this team. Again, as I said, somewhere between 25 and 30 of the best players in the league, that's where Pascal Siakam falls. And, you know, I don't know why it was four instead of five years for the max, but whatever. A max is a max. Good for Siakam getting the money he deserved. He's the guy now for this Toronto team. I think if, again... I think he's probably going to be an all-star this year, and if Tuesday was any indication, he's going to be an absolute monster. So there's not a ton to say on that one. It was going to be a max, always was. Just a matter of the years and when. Moving along now, there's a lot of extensions that were signed that I think have so many interesting wrinkles and angles to them. And the first one is Jalen Brown with the Boston Celtics. Now, when I give the values for these contracts, I'm just putting in what the contract likely will end up being. I know you've seen different numbers reported. Uh, you know, in the initial report for Jalen Brown is four for 115. With the bonuses, it's really going to be four for 107. 
uh, those $8 million in bonuses, they're not going to happen. So it's really going to be a four-year deal for $107 million for Jalen Brown. And really what happened here was Boston paid the premium to get out in front of what Brown would have gotten as a restricted free agent in 2020. Now, I said on the podcast last week that Boston was justified in offering four for 80 and Brown was justified in turning it down because his baseline was four for 80. And with a bigger breakout year, he was going to get $100 million or more. You look at teams like Atlanta, Cleveland, etc., who will have space this summer. Atlanta, I think, and have always thought would have been all over him. So if you're Boston, really what was starting to happen based on the timing of when this Brown extension happened was the market was losing potential restricted free agent option after potential restricted free agent option. And it got to a point with the Celtics where you know, even if Brown did not have the big breakout year that would have gotten him a contract greater than this figure, it remained with a season comparable or slightly better than what he had last year, he was probably getting this four for 100, four for 104, four for 108, four for 112 figure regardless, just because of the fact that the free agent market would have been so barren. So if he had that big breakout season, which, or had a better season, you know, I don't know if I want to say breakout, but I think he'll have a better season over the course of the year than he did last year. If he had that uh, season reminiscent of what he had in 17-18, especially in the playoffs, or a better season, the value of that contract he would have gotten as a restricted free agent was growing by the potential restricted free agent that was coming off the board. So the premium, you know, it's a nice concept to think if you're Boston, okay, go out and prove it, you have that year, then all right, we'll go ahead and pay you. But in Boston's case, he was going to, if he had that season, he was going to get a maybe even 115 or 120 um not with unlikely bonuses straight 115 or 120 just because the market was becoming so weak so boston did what they had to do so now you look at it how does this deal bring value to boston long term and what has to happen is jalen brown I, look, I know I just mentioned all these things about how they got in front of the market and circumstances dictated this contract, but Jalen Brown has to develop pretty, not significantly, but a pretty good amount on the offensive side of the ball to bring value to Boston on this contract. He's got to make some big strides as far as being a consistent offensive producer rather than just a guy who can hit open threes and catch and shoot threes. He's got to be a guy who can really create some offense and develop and have that confidence all around offensively because if not even though they got in front of what could have been a greater contract if he is the player that he is now offensively forever for the rest of this contract this contract is not going to return a ton of value for the Celtics at over 26 million dollars a year so Brown has to take those strides on the offensive side of the ball. Now, even still, I understand completely why Boston did this, for all the reasons I just mentioned. The person, though, 
who looks at this situation and really just has to be smiling and benefiting from it, Jason Tatum's getting a max next year. You know, we saw in the first game of the Sixers, again, very small sample size. He's my prediction for most improved player of the year. Really has to improve that awful shot selection from last year. Tatum was aggressive taking the ball to the rim against the Sixers. He was confident getting to the rim, was willing to get fouled. If Tatum continuously plays at this aggressive level, continues to drive and get the ball to the rim and have the season I expect, even if he doesn't, even if he plays like he did last year, Jason Tatum's a max player now. No questions asked. Based off of this contract and based off of if Tuesday's what he's going to be the rest of the year, it's not even a question or a negotiation. Just a very interesting, I think Brown's extension really perfectly encapsulated this extension deadline and circumstance coming into Monday's deadline based off of the fact that, all right, we know these guys are going to have some sort of leverage because of how weak the free agent class will be. And then as the time ticked away and the options went away, Brown's leverage increased more and a team who really shouldn't or didn't want to give this player over $100 million at the time almost felt that they were gaining some value in doing so. So we'll see if Brown can take the strides to bring value to Boston in the long term, but in the short term, Boston paid the premium to get ahead of what he would have gotten as a restricted free agent from a team like Atlanta. The next one is perhaps my favorite extension out of everyone signed amongst this group by last week's or last Monday's deadline. And that's Buddy Heald. With all the bonuses and whatnot and what's likely and what isn't, this is going to be a four-year deal for $94 million. And this is a great deal for both Sacramento and for Heald. You look at it from Sacramento's standpoint, you got those descending per year salary figures. Starting salary in the first year of the extension at 26 continuously decreases each year. And that's a huge benefit for Sacramento based off of the fact that they're going to have to max De'Aaron Fox next summer. 2021 summer, Marvin Bagley is going to get his second deal. They paid Harrison Barnes way too much money. Sacramento is not a team I look at as a team who's going to be a huge paying tax team or can be a huge paying tax team. So to structure it in this way was very advantageous to Sacramento. And as I said in the last episode, Sacramento had all the leverage here. All the leverage was in their court, in their hands. No matter what Buddy Heald said publicly, no matter how he tried to get the leverage onto his side, he was never going to get $100 million or more, no matter what he said. He was never getting the sway to get that type of offer from the Kings, no matter what he said publicly or inferred publicly. And you look at it from Heald's standpoint, I think it's pretty clear at this point, Heald wanted this deal done before the season started. He wanted to get paid now. And I remember when the initial uh, the initial report was that Sacramento was offering four for 90 and uh, Buddy and his agent had wanted four for 110. I think that fair value for Buddy Heald, based off of the fact that he is a bit older, but he is probably the third or fourth best shooter in the NBA, and if he was the player last year, 
or is the player that he uh wow words is the player that he was last year long term with De'Aaron Fox. That's a dynamic backcourt right there. So I thought that fair value for Buddy Heald over four years was about ninety to ninety five million dollars, and they got him in there at ninety four. Fair value on both ends. And in Heald's case, based off of that descending per year salary structure, he gets more money in the short term. He gets an average annual value of over $23 million a year. Gets close to nine figures. This is a good deal for Buddy Heald. And this is a good deal for the Sacramento Kings. I just really hope that there is a way that they can retain Bogdan Bogdanovich because I think that even though the defensive numbers with Fox, Heald, and Bogdanovich on the court at the same time are not the best, I think Bogdanovich is a good young player. And I said it last week, I've said it before, I think that Barnes contract is going to cost them Bogdanovich. They can't go over 4 for 51 as an extension offer. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in Bogdanovich now based off of the restricted free agent market that's out there. You could look at Malik Beasley and Bogdan Bogdanovich and clearly see that those are the two best options that will be on the market. I think there will be a lot of interest in those two players based off of the teams that have space like Atlanta, like Cleveland, like Charlotte, maybe Memphis if they want to spend their money. So I'm concerned that it's going to cost them Bogdanovich. Harrison Barnes at 4 for 85. That eh. If it costs them Bogdanovich, that's going to just be a really unfortunate circumstance. But looking at it with Heald here, I really like Buddy Heald. You know, Buddy Heald is a guy who is going to be a lethal three-point shooter, and you're playing him next to De'Aaron Fox, who made that monster leap last year, is primed to be a perennial all-star long-term, and there's still room for him to grow the only concern for me, and I said this in the off-season review podcast I did, is I just think that with the money that they're going to end up tying up in all of these players in their core, unless you get a huge leap from Marvin Bagley or Fox continues to go up a level and another level and another level, this team is probably maxed out once they are a playoff team as a lower-tier, mediocre, like, seven-seed playoff team. Because unless Bagley takes that big leap, I I just don't... There's just no way for this team to add that talent that's going to take them to that next level. And they'll be a nice, fun, really entertaining playoff team, but they're kind of ceilinged. There's kind of a ceiling to what this core group long-term can be unless there's a major jump from someone like Marvin Bagley. But... Back to the situation at hand, I love this Buddy Heal deal. This is my favorite of all the extensions signed in terms of the value it brings to both sides, how it benefits both sides with its structure. Fantastic deal. Moving along now, let's go to Indiana. Demontis Sabonis, four years, 79 million bonuses. That could bring it to 85. This was not a deal that I thought was going to get done. I didn't think Jalen Brown's deal was going to get done either, but... um. Sabonis clearly was not taking equal to or lower than what Miles Turner got. Four years, $72 million with bonuses could get up to 80 And we looked at the first game that Indiana had playing Detroit the other night. Turner and Sabonis both balled out. You know, Sabonis had 27 and 13. Turner had 25 and 9. 
in theory, they complement each other because Turner is a guy who is a good defender and a good rim protector and is athletic and can shoot from range where Sabonis um, is a good passer and is good at scoring on the interior. I've said it over and over and over again. I just, it, long-term, it's not going to work. I just don't think it's going to work. Now, they played well. They both played well in this game against Detroit. Detroit got the win. But what is interesting to me about this deal, first off, in a value sense, based off of circumstances in the market, you know, I, I would have preferred to pay Sabonis about what Turner got or maybe slightly lower. But based on circumstances in the market, four for 79, that, that's, that's reasonable. It's pretty reasonable. But the important thing here is I think it's still tradable. And now you look at this situation with Sabonis and Turner, and if or when one of them is traded, I think it's really interesting to look at the situation and try to figure out which one is the guy that gets traded. Because when I think of it, I think Miles Turner possesses more value based off of the fact that he's slightly cheaper, based off of the fact that I think he has more upside, based off of his player type, you know, an athletic rim protector who can also shoot the ball from range, has room to grow. Sabonis is a very good player, really good player, but I think there's just more upside to Turner. His style of play and archetype of player I think is an easier fit for lots of teams. I think you can plug him in in lots of different situations for lots of teams. And again, he's slightly cheaper. So I think that there's more value, just in a trade sense, in Miles Turner than Sabonis. Now, on the flip side, if you're deciding between the two, I mean, I, I think you'd probably rather have Turner long-term also. So, you know, there's always going to be that discussion between the Indiana big and the Boston wing. You know, Brown's out of that discussion. Tatum was never in that discussion. Gordon Hayward had a nice game against the Sixers in the season opener. We'll see what he ends up being or what he ends up being over the course of the season. Maybe that's a deal that can be visited with one of Turner Sabonis for Gordon Hayward. You know, if Indiana were to be serious about trading Turner, I think a team like Atlanta would be all over a guy like Turner and you'd have a front court of Miles Turner and John Collins. I think that would be incredible. So I think it's really interesting to look at that and see what player holds more value based off of their positional, uh, based off of their player archetype, based off of their skills and their contracts. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna try with this Sabonis and Turner duo playing together. They've built their team on this now, obviously, and both guys put up great numbers in their first game. So we'll see how that goes long-term. Again, back to the contract at hand with Sabonis. I think it's a fine deal. I'd have preferred to pay him a little bit less. I think, you know, in an ideal scenario, I think Sabonis... At about $68 million, I think would have been nice. But again, he wasn't taking lower than Turner. 79 is still tradable. That's what matters. Fair value for both sides, Indiana and the player, based off of circumstance in the market. And which of these two gets traded if or when such a trade occurs is an interesting thought to think about. I, think, I just think that Indiana would have a lot of interest in Miles Turner should they go the route of making him the one that they would want to trade. Now let's go to my second favorite extension out of all these extensions signed this past Monday, or before this past Monday, 
and that is DeJounte Murray with the San Antonio Spurs. Now, DeJounte Murray, before last year, before he tore his ACL and was out for the season, all the hype was, man, Murray's going to be a a beast. Murray's going to break out this year. Murray's going to be a monster. Murray's going to be so, 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 so good. Then he tore his ACL and he was out for the season. And so for Murray, you're, you're coming off of a completely missed season, did not play last year, off of a torn ACL, and right away you're getting four for 64, uh, four years, 64 million with bonuses that could take it up to 70 million. And I, I believe, I want to say that I heard that no player has ever gotten such an extension off of their, um, gotten such a rookie extension off of having missed an entire year previously. Probably is the case. I don't remember exactly what it was as far as the statistic, but it would not shock me if this was the first instance of a player getting such an extension after missing an entire season the year previously. But even still, I really like this contract. And I think the reason I do is if you look at the comparable salaries that have been given out to starting point guards. You look at Ricky Rubio, right? Ricky Rubio is getting three for 51 from Phoenix. You look at Eric Bledsoe's deal. I know the fourth year isn't guaranteed, but that's at uh, in the $17 million a year range as well. So you look at Murray. Murray, we already know, is an all-NBA caliber defender. That's just a fact. We know that Murray has incredible two-way potential. And I think based off of what a starting caliber NBA point guard who is good is going to get a 16 or $17 million a year contract or an $18 million a year contract, if DeJounte Murray can develop offensively to have a nice, well-rounded offensive game, to have an offensive game to go along with his elite defensive ability, then I think this contract has the ability to return pretty nice value to the San Antonio Spurs. And even if that offensive side doesn't develop, I don't think you're overpaying him by that much. To have a guy who is an all-NBA second team, all-NBA defensive second team caliber player as your starting point guard without further develop on the development on the offensive side of the ball, that's still a player you're willing to pay a good amount for. I would say that you're really barely even overpaying him on a per-year basis, probably about a $2 million a year overpay on a per-year basis. And if that's the overpay you're making on a per-year basis, that small, small amount, which over the course of four years is only $8 million, you sign this contract every day of the week, and with offensive development, you got a guy who's an 18 or $19 million a year player at $16 million a year. And if you look at, I know, again, very small sample size. I want to see more from Murray, but he, and I know it was the New York Knicks. Sorry, Knicks fans. But Murray looked really good on both sides of the ball in that opening game of the season. Had 18, 8, and 6, was the defender that we've known him to be. He looked really impressive and looked like he warranted all of the hype and buzz that he had generated as being a breakout candidate or looked like a guy who could be a total beast that was said about him previously to last year's injury and before this season. So, again, 
there's the potential to bring a lot of value back to the Spurs with this contract should his offensive side develop. And even if it doesn't, with how good he is defensively, it's really not that much of an overpay. So I'm a believer in Murray being a breakout player. I'm a believer in him having this beast of a season, this monster season, being the breakout candidate he's been hyped to be. I think that's what's going to be with DeJounte Murray this season. So I like this contract a lot. I'm happy for him to get this money right off the bat after missing a whole year uh, last year for injury. Also got an endorsement deal with New Balance on Monday as well. So Monday was a great day for DeJounte Murray. Uh, but this is the second of my second favorite extension of all these extensions I'm going through um, here today. I think there's just a chance that it can bring a lot of value to the San Antonio Spurs. And it's a good, secure, stable payday for Murray off of a major injury. Now, let's go to another extension. This one from Cleveland. Chetty Osman. I really like Chetty Osman. And this deal, I first saw this deal, and I was like, okay, that's a steal. And then more details came out. Year four is non-guaranteed. Salary figures are descending. And then it got to the point of, why did Chetty Osman sign this contract? Chetty Osman, four years, $30 million, year four, non-guaranteed, descending per year salary. So in the first year, he'll be over $8 million. By year four, he'll be in the $6 millions. So Cleveland, what they did here, Cleveland is not a team, as we all know, Cleveland is not a team who in the short term is going to win. They are in the process now of identifying long-term pieces for this team. They're not even in the process of building the roster. As I talked about with how I liked their draft, just taking the best talent at their picks, you know, with Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., they're just accumulating talent and figuring out who the long-term guys are for this team. And Chetty Osman is a guy who's six foot eight. He's a wing who's offensively versatile, not a great defender, but still, he's got good size and good versatility, so that kind of can compensate a little bit, but he's really not that good of a defender. He can handle the ball. The point is this. We look at the restricted free agent, unrestricted free agent market for 2020. It's weak. There's very little there, especially after all the extensions we saw on Monday. So for Osman to subsequently sign a deal at four years for... million then have it be descending figures and then for year four to be totally non-guaranteed he's basically being paid as a mediocre role player and I think that Osman's a nice player a nice bench piece for a winning team and with this market being so weak and Osman being a guy who I think could fit as a bench piece for lots of different teams with his size, his ability to handle the ball, his offensive versatility. I thought that at minimum he would get, to use a Cleveland uh, comparison, I thought at minimum he'd get a Larry Nance-esque contract, four years, $44 million. Instead, what he got was four years for 30, with year four being totally non-guaranteed. I thought even if he had a good year this year, could have gone out as a restricted free agent and maybe gotten himself four years for $48 million or four years for $52 million. Maybe that's shooting a little bit too high 
But the point is I think he could have gotten four totally guaranteed years and he could have gotten more on a per-year basis. At minimum, I think he could have gotten four years at $11 million a year. Maybe with year four partially guaranteed. And with how barren that market is going to be, you know, with Malik Beasley and Bodon Bodanovich being the best options now out there, I think someone would have been willing to spend more than what Cleveland retained Osman for to get Osman as a restricted free agent or for Osman to just take an offer and have Cleveland match it. So frankly, I'm stunned, stunned that Osman took this offer and that Cleveland was able to keep him at such a low rate because you look at it moving forward, you're going to have yourself a nice high-quality bench player potentially in year four if they were to keep him and not do some maneuvering with that non-guaranteed salary in uh, a per-year salary figure of over just over $6 million. That's nothing, especially with how if the cap rises, we'll see what happens with that. But if it were to rise, even more value there. So... This is a steal. There's no other way to say it. This is an absolute steal. Again, Cleveland being smart, not just in getting year four non-guaranteed and the per-year figure being low, but that it was structured in a descending per-year salary figure such that they could get the most value out of it because there's no issue with paying a lot now because they're not winning games. They're not even building out a roster yet. They're just accumulating talent. So... In terms of impact, this isn't on the scale of a Heald or Murray by any means, but in terms of a steal and value, this is a pretty big value and a big bargain for Kobe Altman and this Cleveland front office. And now the last extension I want to get to on this episode here of After the Final Whistle. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear, here on WSOE, Apple Podcasts, or Podcast.com. The last one I want to get to is Torian Prince. Two years, $29 million. Brooklyn acquired him in that trade this past offseason where they had to shed Alan Crabb's contract, traded two firsts, the 17th pick in this past draft, which ended up in the hands of New Orleans and got them a prospect I really, 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 really like in Nikhil Alexander-Walker, as well as their first for this coming season. So I think... And then Torian Prince came back to Brooklyn as well. And then Brooklyn went on to have double max space and signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan as well because he's friends with the right people. The point is this. Torian Prince is a good, solid player. I think he's a high-quality bench player. And what Brooklyn did here, which was smart, was, and it benefited Prince because Prince got more per year, 14 and a half. It's a pretty good amount for Torian Prince but Brooklyn kept the years low. I like that they kept the years low just to give yourself optionality and flexibility, and I like that this Brooklyn team is so deep, right? Because we look at this Brooklyn team, and obviously we know Kevin Durant is not on this team this year because he is not going to play this season. Kyrie Irving balled out 50 points in his first game with the Nets, Really wish that he hit that NBA Street-esque move at the end of the game um, or hit the shot after the NBA Street-esque move to win the game. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't. It went to overtime and they lost. But you look at this team. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie is on a nice value contract. 
Joe Harris isn't expiring this year. Hopefully they re-sign him for a couple more years after this year because he's a great shooter. He's a guy that every team in the league could use. Garrett Temple on the room exception with a team option for year two. Again, reasonable salary, team flexibility. Karis LeVert at three for 51 on his extension was an absurd value. Jarrett Allen, I think, is better than DeAndre Jordan. Rodeoks Kuruks had a good rookie year. I still like Dezan and Musa. David Nwaba is a good defensive piece. Nick Claxton's not going to get time on this team, but getting him in the at the 31st pick in the draft, there's upside there. The point with this Brooklyn team is they have a lot of depth and they have a lot of interesting pieces, a lot of whom are on good value contracts that don't have long terms. So what it does is it gives them either two options. One, you stay super deep around Irving and eventually Irving and Durant. Or two, I I don't think I would prefer this option for them, but this is something that's been said. When you have guys who are on such reasonable contracts not that long, it gives you the ability to be a player for any star that's available in a trade. Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Nick Claxton's a good, interesting young prospect, and now Torian Prince at $14.5 million. So there's plenty of salary available for this team to match a big salary figure coming back to them in a trade for a star player. And if not, they have a lot of flexibility and are not tied up into any specific um, depth, bench, or lower tier starter piece on this team. Now, I like Karis LeVert a lot. I think Karis LeVert has the chance to be an all-star this year. I really do. I like Torian Prince. I said it when he was on Atlanta last year. Before last season started, I did not see Atlanta, unless Prince had a monster season, extending him because I did not see them taking away their long-term flexibility to re-sign him. And that ended up being the case. But Torian Prince still... In a perfect scenario, he's a high-quality bench player who can shoot threes at a high rate and can be a defender, a good defender as well. So he's a nice 3 and D piece as your seventh man on your team as a high-quality bench player. That's what the best-case scenario is with Torian Prince on a winning team. And, you know, extrapolated over a longer term, obviously he's not a $14.5 million a year player, but to get it down to two years to give him that big payday to do so... I like the route that Brooklyn took. And again, they have optionality now around Durant and Irving. Whether it's keeping these guys in being deep, whether it's making a trade for a star player, Brooklyn has options at their disposal. Of course, this year is kind of a um, a breather year, kind of a, a... I don't know what the, the right word is, but the point is we all know what I'm trying to get at. It's kind of like a default kind of buffer year. There's a good word. It's a buffer year before they're at full strength because Durant is not there this season. Now, I like this Torian Prince deal. Again, looking at all these extensions here, you know, Brown's one was a lot. Sabonis was a little bit more than I would have liked. You know, I understand the circumstances surrounding both of these contracts, but overall, you know, I don't look at any of these contracts I just went through and look at them as being you know, egregious overpays or awful contracts. I think there's some that were great value, some were inevitabilities, and some that could reap significant value dependent on the player further developing. 
Again, just to go through them all real quick, Siakam, four years, 130 a max. Jalen Brown, with all the bonuses and whatnot, it's going to be four for $107 million. Buddy Heald is going to be four years for $94 million. Demonta Sabonis, four years, $79 million. DeJounte Murray, four years, $64 million. Chetty Osman, four years, $30 million. Year four, non-guaranteed. Torian Prince, two years, $29 million. And with that, that will be all of my thoughts on all these extensions that were signed this past week in the NBA. I get, Again, I am your host, Brad Clear, of After the Final Whistle. You can check back here on WSOE, Apple Podcasts, or podcast.com for more episodes as the season progresses and we have a larger sample size. I'll get more into looking at teams and performances and individual players who have been impressing me, things of that nature. For now, just with only three nights of games and teams at most having played two games don't really want to get it don't really want to get into that quite yet um, but in future episodes you can expect that again shout out to all of these extensions shout out to you the listener shout out to the NBA being back again I'm your host Brad clear and as always goodbye and good night.